0: Turn to your neighbour and uh, tell them, what are you going to be doing this time tomorrow morning? What are you going to be doing this time tomorrow morning? (laughs) Great excitement, Descender there. We're going to be hearing about the relevance of that in just a short while when uh, Mark comes to preach. Well, Charles Wallace is going to come and bring us our reading now from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 17. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 17. This may be found on page 671 in the Church Bibles. Toil is meaningless. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all that they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives Him gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless and chasing after the wind. a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything that God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Thanks be to God.
1: Uh, We're thinking this morning um, about the subject of work uh, and thinking about how the book of Ecclesiastes helps us with work. Um, So let's pray because this is a subject I know is important to all of us uh, and we'll all be uh, needing to engage with at some point in our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father we need your wisdom To be able to understand uh, What the writer of Ecclesiastes means And we need your help By your spirit to put these things into practice In our lives So please for these next few moments Would you still our hearts and our minds Would you put out of our minds and our hearts All that might be distracting Help us to listen carefully to your voice And what you would have say to us And I pray that each of us Would leave here as changed people Amen. Well, I want to begin, (coughs) excuse me, I want to begin by giving you um, six sort of caricatures of work. I'm wondering whether uh, some of you can relate to some of the things that come on the screen behind me, okay? Here's the first one. Uh, This young girl is called Jess. She's a newly qualified nurse. She's been away at university for three years. Um, She's qualified and uh, now started working in London. She can't afford to live in London like most graduates, so she's back in with mum and dad. Uh, She's thrilled by this, of course. Um, She started working and she's passionate about nursing, um, but finds it hard. Suddenly she's been thrust into the world of work with all its frustrations. She works long hours. She's not always appreciated. Um, She's out of her depth. So for Jess, work is a kind of unknown adventure. She's at the beginning of a working life and kind of trying to figure it all out. This guy, James, he's a recently retired business owner. He's been very successful. He's worked hard all his life, earned a lot of money. Um, He's worked with real integrity. He's had over 150 employees in his company. He's always felt a real burden of responsibility to provide for them well and to care for them. He's a really good businessman. But if you really push James, he would say that work was a kind of necessary evil for 40 years, which he's endured, to get through to the place where he is now. He's just retired and he's 65 and he's just bought a new car with the payout from finishing and he's paid off his mortgage and the kids have left home and now he can really start to enjoy life. He has toiled hard and done a really good job with integrity but ultimately for him it was about getting to retirement where life can really begin. So that's Jess and James. Uh, Jill, she's a sort of lady of leisure. Everyone in the community knows her. She's never worked for money because she's never had to. Her husband earns well. Um, She's always been busy, though. She's involved in all sorts of societies. People know her. She's always serving other people. Um, But if you pushed her on what her definition of work was, she would say, well, she's never worked, because she understands work to be paid employment. Um, She just enjoys her life, uh, enjoys the opportunities that she has. She realizes that she's in a pretty fortunate position to have not had to go out to work all these years because her husband's provided for her. And we've got Jake, he's a factory worker. At the moment he's actually an unemployed factory worker. Jake uh, really struggles with work. He works long days. Uh, he's trying to provide for his family. He's got a number of children. One of them is severely disabled. And he's desperately just trying to bring home enough money every day to provide for his family. At the moment he's lost his job because technology has meant that some people have moved on uh, and uh, some uh, of the employees have been asked to leave. Uh, Jake's really disillusioned because he's a hard worker Um, but he doesn't enjoy his work and really for him, work is unrewarding and it's just a daily grind trying to get enough money together to provide for his family this is Jack, he's just finished his A-levels he got his A-level results earlier this week he's thrilled because he got his four A-stars which is all that he ever wanted he's a bit of a workaholic to be honest Um, actually quite like his parents he's very driven, he's incredibly able but when he was at school, there was a lot of things that he forgoed because he was really driven to be the very best he could. And getting the grades that he just got a few days ago, the ultimate aim for all of that was to get to university and to get his first and to get his job with Morgan Stanley, the company his dad worked for, and to be a top banker. He's a really able guy, but he's really driven. And all he wants to do is be successful. And work for him is a means to be successful to achieve as much as he possibly can. And the last person, Jackie, she's a, a mum of four. Uh, she's a full time mum. She can't remember the last day she had a day off. Uh, she loves her family. Really, for her, she embraces motherhood. She embraces this stage of her life. And she gives everything to her family, just providing for her family to help them to be safe and secure and happy. And she really enjoys it. Um, but she's never really understood how being a Christian impacts the way that she can be a mother there's just a few um, examples Um I hope I'm not unhelpfully or helpfully reinforcing stereotypes they're just examples okay so don't pin me down on the door <laughs> on the way out just different examples of work but I want to ask you what's your experience of work because in each of those examples there were things that were positive that you would enjoy but there would be things where you, your heart resonates and go yeah I get that I get that frustration I get that pressure that's me Remember, if you step back from work, the big picture of Ecclesiastes is this writer, this teacher is trying to think about the world and he's trying to identify where do I find meaning and purpose in a world that's good but broken and which I experience great deals of frustration. And we saw a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, uh, looking at pleasure. Pleasure is a great God-given gift that gives you and I enjoyment. But I hope we began to see that pleasure was never created to give us meaning. Well, this week we're looking at work. Again, a God-given, created blessing, gift. But work was never created to give us meaning. So let's have a look at our passage and see what the teacher's experience of work is. Um, come with me to chapter 2, verse 17. Now, the writer says, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, why does he say that, verse 18? Verse 18. I hated all the things I told for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Now, perhaps in part, he's talking about his income. He's worked incredibly hard and one day he leaves a load of money behind. But actually, he's probably talking about more than that. Perhaps this teacher, and we saw two weeks ago when we looked at pleasure, he's been very successful building all this stuff for himself. Maybe he's got to leave behind the culture that he's helped to foster in his work. And he doesn't know whether the new boss of the company is going to continue that culture or going to undermine it. Maybe he's built a really good reputation for himself and he might be tempted to be leaving that behind. Well, what's going to happen to the company? The company is built around this man and maybe his reputation is going to fall. So there's a real frustration. I've got to leave behind everything I've worked for. The money, the the, the reputation, the culture. So he says, verse 19... Who knows whether the person I leave it to will be wise or foolish? Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil in which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. Now We've looked each week at what this word meaningless means, don't we? Haven't we? It's the idea of breathiness or vapor. Uh, The bubble machine that I showed you in the first week. Just lacking substance. It can't really give me Meaning. I can see it, I can feel it, I can touch it, but then it's gone. And so he goes on, verse 20. My heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom. And remember, two weeks ago, a person can seek pleasure with wisdom. But then they must leave it all to another person who's not told for it. So the teacher concludes, this is meaningless and a great misfortune. And it's made all the more so because of verse 22. I wonder if this is your experience of work. Uh, This teacher has worked and it says here he's toiled and he's been striving anxiously. All their days their work is grief and pain and even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. What I love about this book is the writer kind of gets life. He gets you, he gets me. He gets the experience that many of us will have with work, that often work feels like an endless toil, just striving, and it's frustrating. And you know that experience where your head hits a pillow at night, and you can't sleep because your mind's still going. You can never seem to get off the kind of treadmill of work. And that's just an experience that many of us will feel at times. Well, the writer here is experiencing exactly what happened right back at the beginning of the Bible. You get Genesis 1 and 2, this gift of work that's given to mankind. It's meant for their blessing and flourishing. It's one of the ways in which human beings can um, work out what it means to be made in the image of God. But by Genesis chapter 3, when mankind turn their back on God and say, I don't want you in my life. Suddenly, that which was meant to be a blessing becomes a curse. And mankind is called to continue working. But as part of the curse of judgment on them, God says that it's through painful toil that you will provide now for yourselves and your families. And remember the first week, uh, the language of Romans chapter 8, those familiar passages, you might recognize the words where Paul is talking about this frustration in the world. And he he says creation has been subjected to frustration. Um, There's groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And that groaning, that frustration that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8 is the same kind of root word as the word translated meaningless in Hebrews. It's the frustration of living in a broken world where a great gift of God, work, has become a great curse. And I guess most of us would wish we didn't have to work. Do you remember last week uh, or two weeks ago I told you that uh, Steph and I planted a little vegetable patch in our garden and we planted these little um, courgette plants that Julie Sam gave us and now they're massive and they're producing these, these, uh, these courgettes that can barely get through our door. <laughs> now the little illustration was this, that we could plant these courgette plants in the vegetable patch I couldn't then reap the vegetables in the flower bed the other side of the garden. Why? Because we planted courgettes there so that is where we would reap courgettes. Well, the key, I think, to unlocking one of the truths of what Ecclesiastes is all about is recognizing that God who is sovereign over his world. He has placed, he has sown meaning into his world. But you and I will never reap meaning where God has not sown meaning. In the same way that I'll never reap courgettes in the flower bed where I've not planted them. And as we have seen that pleasure is a source of satisfaction and joy, but not, is not a source of meaning. We're going to see this morning that work equally can give you pleasure, but is not a source of meaning for you. But that doesn't mean it cannot be meaningful. And we'll look at this together. And that's why, even though in chapters 2 and 3 here, where the writer is expressing all the frustration of work, he's able in chapter 5 to say, verse 19, to be happy in your work is a gift from God. none of these are sort of paradoxes you get in Ecclesiastes he goes off on a rant about how frustrating work is but then later on he goes but pursue work, it's a good thing what are we meant to do with it? we're going to look at three things this morning here's the first one Um, I want us to see that the gospel is more than just rescue I have here a Swiss army knife when my dad used to go climbing um, to the Alps, to Switzerland, France when I was a little boy he always used to bring me back something and it was normally a knife, which was great uh, this is a swiss army knife and its main function it's got a really nice sharp knife on it which i can take with me when i go camping or whatever else but the swiss army knife isn't just a knife it's also got a corkscrew on the back which can be pretty useful uh, it's got a smaller knife it's got a bottle opener equally useful uh, it's got a little screwdriver there it's got a pair of scissors which is pretty cool um, it's even got a toothpick down the end And you can get army knives that do one or two things, or army knives that do loads of things. Now this is a Swiss army knife, but it's more than a knife. It does lots of different things. When you think about the Christian, let me put that away, I might stab myself with it. When you think about the Christian gospel, it's never ever less than rescue, the way that God who loves you, brings you into a relationship with him wants to forgive you for your rebellion against him forgive me for my rebellion that I can know God again and live in relationship with him that is God's passion the gospel is never less than rescue but it's a lot more than just rescue God didn't just send his son into the world to rescue me that I can have a relationship with God and I'll have my kind of passport to heaven and that's the end of it the gospel is far far, far wider than that the gospel goes far far deeper than that So one of the ways that the Bible describes the gospel is this uh, sort of Bible word, redemption. And redemption is uh, regaining possession of something in exchange for payment. And that is what God has done. He has regained possession of the people who he has called to himself. But he's done it in exchange for a payment. He's given up his one and only son. That we can know God again, that we can be forgiven because of everything that Christ did for us. The gospel is incredible. The gospel is a way for you and I to be reconnected with God. But it's not just a rescue. You read a book called, uh, called Colossians in the New Testament. And Paul says, speaking of the work of Christ on the cross, he was reconciling himself to himself, all things. Now that starts with you and me. But it also is speaking of reconciling to himself our work. He's also begun the process of reconciling to himself our relationship with our work. And the gospel runs so deep that God is saying everything in life matters to God. And everything in life should be impacted by the gospel. That is why it's such important news for us as Christians. I just want to hold on to that because it's not something that's directly in our passage but it's framing the thing that's coming next the gospel is far more than just rescue God is in the process of redeeming everything that he has made as the title of one book goes he is in the process of restoring a broken world why does that matter it matters because this is the main thing I think we're going to see in our passage this morning our work is far more than just our work have a look at chapter 3, verse 14. Now, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Now, that word fear there is really speaking of understanding who God is and responding appropriately. So, you go back to my vegetable patch. I cannot reap a yet where I have not sown it. And you and I cannot reap meaning in this world Where God has not sown meaning. But God has sown meaning in what is eternal. And God himself is eternal. Had no beginning, has no end, has always existed. Which means, and the writer's right here, that everything God does has meaning. So if you can begin to connect the work that you do, that God is redeeming, as part of redeeming you, with an eternal God in everything that he does that has meaning, suddenly your work takes on a whole new meaning. And your work can be meaningful because it's connected to an eternal creator in whom everything is meaningful. Many many of you will have heard of Martin Luther. He's really famous for the work he did in the 16th century to challenge um, parts of the established church with their understanding of the gospel. He's really famous for uh, kind of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, it is by grace you have been saved. That's his big thing. Uh, and uh, many of us, most of us, probably wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the likes of Martin Luther and others who, at great cost to themselves, wanted to uphold the Christian gospel, that you and I are rescued by grace. It's a gift from God. We cannot earn our salvation. What Martin Luther is less famous for is the work he later did in trying to help people understand how the Christian gospel impacts all of life. In 1520, he wrote what was called the Treatise on Good Works. So he was trying to talk about um, the role of work in the Christian life, and he said this, that the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on every pair of shoes he makes, but my making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. So it's not that we do our work, and then if we do it with a bit of sort of Christian on the side, by listening to maybe a Christian song, or we've read our Bible before, we've done our work, suddenly that is what makes our work meaningful. Our work is meaningful because you were created in the image of God. And we do it, our work becomes meaningful when we do it to serve God. So what the writer to Ecclesiastes is trying to do is he's beginning to try to help us to connect the work that you are called to do with God's eternal work because then suddenly your work that perhaps to you feels like an endless bind and simply a means to provide for a family becomes part of something so much bigger and something so much better. You go to chapter 2 verse 18. The writer here who hasn't fully grasped everything we're talking about this morning. He says... 2:18. I hated all the things I'd toiled for under the sun because I've got to leave them to the one who comes after me. The problem with the writer is he's finding that if his work is just his work, it ends up just being meaningless. It's empty. What's the point in all this toil if it's ultimately just to please me? Because one day that pleasure will come to an end. But contrast that with the apostle Paul, who's begun to grasp that our work matters to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Paul says, My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When Paul writes that, he's not writing to pastors saying, You are the ones who labor in the Lord. He's writing to a church full of people who do all the jobs that you do. So what he's making really clear is that all of our work matters to God. And in all of our work, we can serve God. Now this is, I guess, less of a point and more of a kind of prayer. I've been praying this for myself and for all of us. I pray that Monday morning, tomorrow morning, may be as a result of seeing some of the things in this passage different for all of us. Perhaps never the same again. And here's why. I want you to think about your attitude to work at the moment. Uh, square that maybe with your experience of work Uh, you'll know because you maybe work or if you're not in paid employment you're still working you still have to be productive each day Uh, what do you think your attitude to work will be tomorrow morning some of you are smiling because you know that it'll be hard work to get up in the morning because work's frustrating and you kind of wish you didn't have to be there Uh, listen to one uh, American scholar he wrote a book called Design for Dignity where he was talking about the purpose of the human life and he said this about work I think it's quite provocative. Uh, He challenges the readers and he he goes, why do you get up in the morning to go to work? You don't labor simply to survive. Insects do that. Your work is an honor, a privileged commission from your great king. I asked you a moment ago to think about what is your attitude to work on Monday morning. If you're really honest with yourself, are you an insect? just going to work to survive? Or have you begun to connect that your work is what God is calling you to as part of serving a great king? Just in the last few moments, I want to give you um, three little examples of perhaps um, what it might look like for you and me to be kind of insect-like and just survive in our work. Uh, I give these just to perhaps warn us, maybe to encourage us to pray for each other in these things. Here are three things. The first one we've really touched on um, is failing to connect our work with God's work. Because if I'm just stacking shelves in, in a supermarket, and I think, "What is the point of this? And how can this ever be honouring God?" I'm not just stacking shelves. I'm blessing so many people through the way that I stack the shelves cleanly and neatly, so people can find their food. The way that I'm helping people provide for families, and how when I provide for a family, then the children can be successful at school, and uh, I can provide for my husband or my wife who's going out to work stacking shelves is never just stacking shelves you're creating order out of chaos in the supermarket and blessing God with a really menial task well we can easily fail to see that our work is God's work and one of the big ways is because our attitude to our work is very wrong Now, I suspect for many of us when we go to work that we would say a fruitful day is a productive day where I get everything done that I want to get done and when I enjoy myself and I'm rewarded for what I do God would turn that on its head he would say a fruitful day is one where you can put your hand on your heart at the end of the day and say, I have tried by God's grace to serve God and to serve those around me to the best of my ability with the skills he's given me today. Isn't that a completely different mindset to work? That probably we would naturally have and definitely what most of the world would have. You see, you can be unemployed and looking for work and still do it for the glory of God. You can be in full-time unpaid work And you're still working for the glory of God. And this is what the writer says in chapter 2, verse 13. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. If I fail to connect my work with God's greater work, then one of the great things I'm missing out on is actually seeing that despite all the frustrations and difficulties in my work, my work is actually a gift that God has given me. And primary reason he's given me this gift is to serve God and to bless other people. I guess the second example of a kind of just surviving insect-like would be um, overwork. Uh, And you see it in chapter 2, verse 22, and I'm sure these words resonate with many of our hearts. Uh, What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain, even at night their minds do not rest I get that work is hard and it's not that if you connect your work to God's work suddenly work becomes a joy and everything gets easy it's not like that work is tough many of you carry great responsibility at work you carry great burdens with your work I'll say this then because of all that quite gently but just to sort of challenge you a little bit perhaps do you in some ways even in a small way contribute to the striving and anxiety of your work it may be a very difficult job but do you contribute to it for many of us we're so easily defined by our work and because we're defined by our work we get driven by it and that is why we would say that a fruitful day is one where i'm productive and i get everything done and i'm rewarded for it god's more interested in our heart have i sought to honor him today excellence we've talked about this a little bit before in a different sermon Um, often is driven by a desire to want to please God because I love God and I want to be excellent for him it's a really good thing but sometimes excellence means I don't know when to stop I become a bit of a perfectionist and actually I can easily lose sight of the God who ultimately was driving me to be excellent you've got to remember that when the writer wrote this he wasn't writing to a kind of primitive culture that was kind of subsistence agriculture this was great superpowers had risen up Many, many people were very rich. There was commerce. There was trade. What a temptation there would have been for the Israelites who received this book when they first read it. Just to get rich like the rest of the nations. Perhaps for some of us, um, our toil and our anxiety and our striving and that sleeplessness at night is maybe at least in part driven by a kind of keeping up with the Joneses. That's for you to work through. It's for me to work through. But there is a danger. And perhaps for those who have young families, there's a danger too that sometimes in a very honourable desire to want to provide for our families, that can actually be a pretty subtle mask to workaholism too. I just want to read to you a very funny story. It's just a couple of paragraphs. There's this wealthy businessman in London who was grabbing a late lunch in between meetings and he grabbed it from a street hot dog vendor who was just starting to pack up his stool for the day. You're finished already, he says. That's right, the vendor said. But but why? It's only 2.30 p.m. Well, because I've sold all my hot dogs uh, that I need to sell to support my family. Well, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? Well, I will head home, I'll spend time with my wife, I'll have a cup of coffee, I'll collect the kids from school, I'll maybe help them with their homework, I'll take them to the park to play. In the evening, I'll probably go and relax with my friends. But you could do so much better, says the businessman. Listen, if you worked a few more hours, you could catch the evening rush too. That would be profitable. Might even double your profits. You could use the extra money to buy a cart and hire someone to staff it. You could branch out. You could get sponsorship. You could have hot dog carts all over the city. And then a few years later, you could sell it to someone for hundreds of thousands of pounds. And what would I do then, says the hot dog man. Well, then you could retire. Relax. Play with your children. Enjoy a cup of coffee. Spend time with your wife. Go out with your friends. Time is a wonderfully precious commodity. I know work is difficult. I know there are very legitimate demands on many people here with our work. And we often have to work very long days. But there's also a right time to step back and have some perspective in what is the big point of my life. And I think that is why uh, in chapter 3 you get this rather puzzling kind of interjection with this kind of there's a time for everything chapter 3 verses 1 to 8 and I think in that what God is wanting to tell us is that he is with us in every season of life and there will be different seasons of life there'll be seasons where you really have to graft but there may be other seasons where you need to take your foot off the gas or you have to review your work or think about it But there are different seasons of life. And the writer wants us to know that God is with us in every season of life. And he wants to encourage us that we can honor God in every season of life. So as we close, chapter 3, verse 14. The writer says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. I hope we'll see that the Christian gospel is never, ever less than our rescue, the way that we can know God again, but it so often goes far deeper. And what the Christian gospel does with our work is it begins to redeem our work, to help us connect the work that God has called you to, even the work that he's calling you to in your retirement, because we never stop working in that sense, but connecting our work with the work that he is doing in redeeming and restoring a broken world. A world that he is making right again. A world that one day he will make new. And I hope that as you begin to see how your work can connect with his work, it will make a very big difference to the way that we all approach Monday morning. Because this is the truth in which we find meaning. Not in work itself, but when work is connected to God's work. That is when our work becomes meaningful. And it's for that reason I really want to pray for us together that we as a church family would indeed, as Paul says, stand firm. That nothing would move us and that we would always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's have a moment of quiet. There's a lot to take in. There's a lot to think about, to wrestle with and ask the band to come up so that they're ready to lead us in our final song in a moment heavenly father we thank you that you are interested in all of our life thank you for work which you created to be a blessing and one of the ways that we can live out being made in the image of god but Lord for many of us work is very very difficult we're living in a broken world with all of its frustrations but thank you that you know these frustrations you know the difficulties which we face in our work and I pray that for each of us today perhaps for the first time we've begun to see that the Christian gospel is more than just a means by which we're saved it's never less than that but Father thank you that you are redeeming all of creation that you're reconciling to yourself all things And I pray that you would help each of us to see how our work, whatever it is, whether it's paid employment or unpaid work, whether we're yet to start formal work or whether we're retired from our decades of hard work, help us to see, Lord, that each morning you call us still to work, to be productive, and ultimately to do so to serve you and to be a blessing to those around us. I pray that you'd forgive us where we can be workaholics where we can be too easily defined by our work. I pray that we would be freed from seeing that only being productive is what matters. Thank you that you see our hearts and thank you that through the gospel and through the work of your spirit in our life, you can redeem our work to help it to be more meaningful when it's connected to the work that you are doing. Father, please help us to encourage each other because our work is a real challenge Uh, but thank you that you are with us and thank you that because of the gospel we can indeed stand firm and give ourselves fully to serving you because our labors in you are never in vain. We thank you for that glorious truth we see in this passage that everything God does will endure forever. And we pray that you continue to help us to see how our part in that can be true. Amen. So friends, let's stand firm. Let's give ourselves fully. To the work of the Lord and whatever He calls us to do tomorrow morning, because we know that because of the gospel, our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen.